I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Robin Chapman from Madison, Wisconsin. She has been a poet since the age of eight when she wrote an elegy for a bee. Subsequently, she's authored 10 books of poetry. Most recently, The Only Home We Know from Tibet Press, Tibet Bach Press in 2019, and an earlier book from that same press called Six True Things, which are poems that recollect her childhood growing up in the Manhattan Project town of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where they made the enriched uranium for the world's first atom bomb. Her concern with vanishing species and global warming are also reflected in two of her earlier books. And now, I've known Robin for quite a while, and I'm really happy that we can do this. So now, Robin, we're going to do it. Okay. Hello, Charlie. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, talking to me from Madison, a town I love also. It's a great place. And I want to ask you right off, you sent me some poems you're interested in reading. And one of them mentions the Banff Center. And for in recent years, just about every around Christmas, New Year's, you, I get an email or a, there's a posting on Facebook saying that you're in Banff writing. And I immediately write something like about how jealous I am because it just sounds so fabulous. So could, could you tell us what this center is and, and how this works, how you got this great setup? Thing? Oh, I would be very happy to. It's the Banff Center for uh, Creativity and the Arts. It's uh, in the Banff National Park in Alberta, in Canada. The center is a large campus uh, with uh, conference facilities and uh, dorm space and meeting space, um, multiple buildings, but out in the woods, beyond all the, the campus and library and, and uh, cafeteria are 10 little huts in the woods, each of them to house a single artist, either a painter or a musician or a composer or a, um, or a writer. And they're called the Layton Studios and were, uh, were made possible by David and Peggy Layton. And you can apply online on the Band Center site uh, to, uh, to bring a project there. And you can, you, you need to describe the project and, and provide a working manuscript and, uh, and suggest some dates when you could come. I've always suggested what I thought would be the most unpopular dates of all, which are the middle of the winter, where it can go to 30 below. And it's true, you walk about a quarter of a mile out in the woods to this, uh, to, to your assigned cabin. So that's available for you to work in. It's a workspace. And then you stay on campus. And the, the thrilling part about working in that space out in the, the woods is that um, the animals come by. The, the, the mule deer and the and the, uh, uh, the, the pine martin goes by and uh, you can watch it all morning. And the, 
uh, the coyotes, and once a cougar. Uh, wow. I, I looked out my window and it was looking back at me with its paw on a 600 pound elk that it had taken down. And I knew Will was out walking up to meet me and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Drama. Yeah. Uh, wow. I had a moment of worry about whether which way he was coming. Fortunately, mm -hmm. he came uh, became the right oh, way. So, great. so it's it's truly mm -hmm. wild. It's truly in contact with the wild, and you you can see the mountains rising all around you. So, so it's a a wonderful place to write, and consequently, lots of my poems have been about what I yeah. see in that setting. Um, but the other part of it that's thrilling is that you get to have your meals with all the other artists who are there. And they can be uh, a puppeteer intensive that's there for 12 days or 200 international stage fighters who've come to, to practice their 15th century rapier craft or uh, who else have we met? We've met uh, sculptors and we've met uh, many fine musicians from around the world, uh, wow. jazz composers. Uh, and all of these have been friendships that get formed and that, that last for years and that connect us across the web and across visits to give concerts here at our house. We've had several house concerts for people we met there who come through Madison. So, so it's uh, full of, wonderful friendships with uh, wonderful artistic people of every single age from, you know, from 19 to, to 80. Wow. So, sounds, now it sounds even better. I mean, I didn't know it those is, details. It is. You this would is incredible. Know it. Yeah. Yes. And you have a poem about it. I do. So, well, what, that, that, we've heard a prose description. Now we'll hear a okay. poetic reflection. Well, Here's one from the only home we know called uh, Banff Center, December 25th. Dear ones, dinner of sweet potato fries and black Angus burgers with bloodied boxers on TV. The puppeteer journaling her family under the flickering fight. Circus instructors plan their work on silks and ropes and hoops on the 30 foot swing of the giant trapeze. The far-flung world whispers to faces buried in their screens. The new creativity center rises sheathed in steel and glass. In my studio, the dark outside retreats before the sluice of podcast radio, science news, gigabytes of music I transfer from my memory stick. Attention is our scarcest resource, mine, to find the mountains rising all around us, the stars flickering beyond the drizzle of snow, the earth in its journey turning us again toward light, the text of goodwill arriving, the red silk fluttering with its human freight. Whoa, yeah, that covers a lot of territory. I'm glad you mentioned ahead of time that like puppeteers and circus people might be there. I wasn't sure what that was when I read the manuscript. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's surprising to all the possibilities that, that arrive here. 
So while you're in the huts, other people are on the campus, I take it. So you could have right. there, that there, many people. There are big theaters for uh, actors to uh, set up stage productions and great big workshops for puppeteers to make new puppets. And uh, there, there's a, a fantastic library of the arts with lots of music and, and art and and scores for musicians. I, I should also say that, that there are lots of little boxes at the edge of the woods for musicians to practice in. Oh. Because oh. in the summer, there's the Banff International String Quartet competition that's held uh, held at the Whoa. center and 40,000 people show up. No, I, yeah. I assume the lots must be heated or your, your fingers wouldn't do too well. <laughs> Well, they on, have on your violet or whatever, they have right? heaters in them. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. My first vision was like a lean-to by, you know, a, camp, a hiking trail. So that, that can't be right. Well, it it has a door. Now, this next poem brings us back to where you are right now in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, I wanted to ask you this. The, the last poem, the poem you just read, says, Dear ones, dinner of sweet potato fries and black Angus burgers, and it goes on and on. This poem opens and it says, dear ones, this is the day after the end of the world. Now, the dear ones, of course, stuck out at me. I'm wondering where that came from. What's, what's, what's with that? Oh, this is a form uh, that arrived for me in Banff. Uh, and the first poem I wrote that was a Dear Ones poem was when I'd spent the morning kind of communing with the, the male mule deer who was sitting on the little promontory right outside my window. And we just sat with each other all morning. And I wanted, I wanted so much to tell everyone I loved about it. And this is how it came, the date and a, a letter, dear ones. Mm. So, so they're, they're addressed to, to whoever wants to hear who I care about. Okay, well, before we came on, I mentioned to you that my connotation was like we're sitting around the fireplace and you're telling the family. Uh, so that's the same yeah. ballpark idea, I think. Yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's original and interesting. So let's hear about Madison. Okay, uh, 122212 12, Madison, mm. dear ones. This is the day after the end of the world. Mayan calendar turning over 122112, 12, like Y2K in our shorter lived century. And the poets are meeting to celebrate niches in our lives for making art. Those Edens behind glass where sunlight stretches across the floor. Those pigeonholed desks offering up all the mind-shelved categories. That long candlelit table for gathering. The walls hung with art from many hands. Though these spaces too are fragile, ephemeral, arise and vanish. While all the while, our busy traffic, landfill gases, burning cook fires are somewhere ending the local worlds we know. Our rain and snow, our winds and soil, our trees and crops, our breathable air, our drinkable water. So perhaps the doomsayers were right. Though I've rushed out to write checks for trees and bees in far countries, 
and sit here now following Walt Whitman's advice to his soul, tallying earth soil, trees, winds, tumultuous waves, sending in an order for prairie seed, resolving to eat lentils, not beef, take the bus that goes by my door, refusing the beautiful poetry of grief for the grit of belief we can push back the date if we choose. Yeah, the end of the world, it didn't happen one more time. We, we sort of see it coming, though. I never asked you, do you have like a science background? I mean, at the university, did you work in some science department or? No, I just read science news a lot. I, oh. I'm, my science background is, um, what is it? It's in college, I was uh, a psychology major, a sensory physiology minor and a philosophy minor. That's a good combo. And, and uh, I went on at Berkeley to to become a developmental psycholinguist. So my science is children's language learning and language discourse. Oh, well. uh, so really about the natural word, world, no, I'm not a physicist or a biologist. I know, but we all know they're not the only scientists. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just everyone thinks of them first. Yeah. Because they're the hardest. Yeah. Isn't that true? I'm, but, I'm so, a kid who at age 10 uh, had a jar of chloroform and a bug net. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely, you know, scientific thought underlying all the things that you do, really, or yeah. the many things you just mentioned, uh, the same science process and thought. So you're, like, very at home there. Yeah. Well, till. Oh, the middle of college, I was going to be a math major. The calculus took me down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that happens. The serendipity of where you end up is very interesting for all yeah. of us, I think. You know, and see, I still mostly think of it as a poet who happens to know a little bit about science, or more than a little bit, but, you know, yeah. who's very interested in science more than most people. Well, you know, when I see something on Facebook about that, I shoot it to you because you might interested oh, yeah. in submit a uh, poem or something you know because that's what i associate i have a standing with search on, on poetry and science oh that's good yeah <laughs> you've got it covered yeah well how about showing up okay it's a good thing to it's a good thing to do showing up all these exhortations to show up at the studio door the desk the page what's missing still the willingness to sit with the everyday. To say how last night, the racket along the road by the marsh was Hyla Crucifer. Spring peepers lost in their urgent trilling, mating songs so loud, Will thinks his tire bearings are giving out. And we roll down the car windows to listen to the sound that continues, even though we've stopped. Yeah, that was very uh, a very interesting detail that he really thought something was with the car and, and you stopped to be sure of yeah. what was going on. Yeah. There but, is a day, in, but it was in May in Madison yeah. when uh, the, the painters were out uh, by the Arboretum, by the pond there, when all the American toads came hopping out of the woods to the pond to mate. It was the most amazing sight I've ever seen. <laughs> Hundreds of frogs coming through the woods 
and crawling wow. into the water. Not frogs, toads. Yeah. I had to look them up. But and and then the grand orgy. So <laughs> uh, you know, just once I saw that. But it, yeah. it was very exciting. Yeah. The visual I'm getting is from that movie of one of Steinbeck's novels where all the old Doc's friends around the neighborhood out there, Doc, remember him? And the uh -huh. like Sweet Thursday and those, and Cannery Row. And they go out chasing frogs because somebody's going to give them like a quarter for each frog or something. And there's enormous, these frogs are thundering at you on the screen. Yeah. That's, yeah, it sounds like, but it's amazing. I mean, yeah. nature's so interesting. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Well, now, now we come to another uh, part of what you sent me, which which has another uh, connection in our personal lives. Uh, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, a while ago when I was in the actually seventh grade, and you lived in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, as I mentioned in your introduction, with your daddy working on the, on the project there. And, right. We were uh, just an hour away from each other. I was just so surprised. I just we never we never talked about every detail of our lives before, and I was just I was totally surprised that yeah, wow, how about that? We were right there, and roughly the same time. Uh -huh. So wow, why don't we hear about that? Okay, this this is you back a poem uh, from Six True Things, uh, the book, and um, it's it's about childhood there, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. 1946. It's the morning of the world I want to tell you about. My world of East Tennessee red clay and crabgrass in its spiky rosette patches. A child's morning after cream of wheat or cinnamon toast. The years before the school bus loomed for us late again racing down the road. The mornings when the fathers had bicycled or carpooled off to work. The mothers had turned to making beds and we burst out of our semester six basic floor plan houses to the backyards and greenbelt woods left by the army engineers for camouflage in our gated town, place we already knew dimly, proudly to be the home of the atom bomb. It is the everyday mornings I mean, when we rushed out eager to find what new rabbit trails could be seen in the wet grass what ripe blackberries could be find, found in the briar patch, whether the plums and apples were still green, whether Honey Bunch's kittens had opened their eyes yet. The mockingbird sang us the songs of every bird in our kingdom in one long stream from a corner tree. It was paradise seeing the world through morning eyes and the mockingbird's knowledge, what we took from the tree. It's really interesting to see what you, it's it's so nice to see what you recollect as a childhood morning. Yeah. I mean, that conclusion, you know, paradise seeing the world through morning eyes. It's uh, it's something that I, I think I share with um, other kids of that age and time and place. We all just, we were let out to roam the woods all around us. And we did in small roving bands. And, mm -hmm. and we only showed up at, for lunch and dinner. And, right. And it was safe. Right. In a it way that it might not be now or might not be perceived to be. Right. Yeah. And then you'd have to go to a play group to leave the house. 
Well, of course, the other out. thing is that the city was gated. You had to have a pass to get in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, the, that's little details like that about what the environment really was for a facility like that. I mean, it's like, right. a, it's like a military base. Exactly. You come up to the gate, they check your ID. Right. And, and, and uh, I've talked to uh, poets who grew up on military bases who had the same experience. That uh -huh. they were just out running around. <laughs> well, there were some woods near my grandmother's house, actually, on the outskirts of Baltimore. And we just ran around. Every time it rained, we went down the woods to see how the stream had changed its course. Like yes. By a yeah. foot or six inches. But yeah, yeah. But we'd walk and, up and did you sail oh, things down the, the stream? And it wasn't it wasn't deep enough. It was really puny, but I know, but little leaf boats. Those yeah, things. well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we called it Eagle Pass. Ah, oh, okay. Because you know, we saw all those cowboy movies. So <laughs> that's where we hung out. Well, Rob, and this is just really wonderful. We've covered your childhood and we've covered BAMP. Two important, wonderful things I know about you. And there's much more, but do you, do you play a musical instrument? I know your husband does. Oh, well, Will, my husband is a, a wonderful tin whistle mm -hmm. player and accordion player. Um, I took lessons as a child and have decided for my next quarter century to mm -hmm. revisit them and have a, I have a new piano to to relearn my okay. childhood music on John Thompson's grade one through three. Great, that plus is so Monty cool. Plus tunes. So, so I've got I've got some new learning to do, or oh, relearning. Great. Uh, well, Robin, it's been really great, and I'm so glad we could do this. Thank you. Uh, I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We've been visiting and hearing the poems of Robin Chapman from Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We've been hearing the poetry of Robin Chapman from Madison, Wisconsin. And talking to Robin reminded me of another fine person and poet, Richard Rowe, also from Wisconsin, who recently passed away. Richard began writing poetry in the mid-70s and was a member of that infamous Through the U.S. Mail writing workshop that Robin and I both participated in. In fact, that's where all three of us met. He hopes he can be reincarnated as an opera singer, he once said, a baritone bass who is a villain or a comic. You get an idea of his personality. He's had poems published in many literary magazines and was very active in the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. In fact, he was co-editor of the organization's 2008 Wisconsin Poets Calendar, an annual publication. Here's a poem from Richard. I think it'll give you a sense of him, and I just think you will enjoy it. It's called, Yes, She's a Jazz Singer. I tap my toes when Mary on cello plucks the theme, a scotch and soda tune. Her song about an evening we can stroll and strut away our aches, her dimples promising salt-laden shoreline breezes. Drummer brushes his taps, touches cymbals and rattles. I stand and join Mary in song, a ricochet chorus of vowels, scattered nonsense, clapping my hands. Guitar plays a siren's call, a night fire's burn, cello and piano orbit, voice Venus high, red moon catches clams and mussels, sauce and Saturn, meteors flash, coals glowing for night's reprise, 
sustained notes sit me down, tone-tied and wrapped in chords and changes, a voice that says, you're back. That's a poem from Richard Rowe, who we lost recently. I miss him, and I know a lot of his friends and fellow poets miss him. Some of his friends out there in Wisconsin are putting together a collection of his work for Fireweed Press, which will be called Poems of Song, Tango, and Jazz. Be with us again next time for Poetry Spoken Here to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>